Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. We are live at the Market Council Summit, and today we have John O'Connell of the Oasis Group with us. Welcome, John. Thank you very much, Doug. Thanks for having me. The Oasis Group. So tell me a little bit about that, what you do, and, and who you do it for. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, so on one side of our business, we work primarily with um, RIAs and independent broker-dealers. That part of our business, we typically work with them on selecting software or deciding whether or not to build versus buy software. Uh, in many cases, on that side, we also provide outsourced like chief technology or chief security officer capabilities. So on that side of our business, we see a lot where FINRA may be coming in and we try to help to get prepared on the cybersecurity side for FINRA, things like that. The other side of our business, we work a lot with large uh, software firms, fintech firms, that want to sell more effectively to the wealth management space. And on that side, we leverage a lot of our sales experience. So we do go-to-market strategies. We'll help them with putting together their uh, their sale overall sales process, the direction that they're going in with their sales. We'll do everything from help them structure a CRM, help them structure a sales process, and then effectively roll that out to their sales organization so that they can much more effectively sell into the space or be able to help manage clients once they're sold. It seems like on the RAA side, it's a very, very needed thing because they seem frozen to make decisions on bill versus buy, what to do, how to do it. Is that similar to, or is that the case that you see? It is. Um, in fact, the panel that I sat on today was was titled Build versus Buy. And I think a lot of RAAs feel like they need to build software because they're just slightly different, if you will, from you know from what they're seeing off the shelf. A lot of pieces of software, you, when you're going to take a look at build versus buy, the first thing you should really ask yourself is, is this a key differentiator for my business? If it's a key differentiator, um, and I can give you some examples of what that would look like, but if it's a key differentiator, you may consider either buying software and extending it to handle your special needs, or you may consider building software at that point. But if it's a commoditized piece of software, like many people turn around and say, well, I, I need a CRM, there's many good CRMs that are out there in the marketplace. So that's a, an example where it's not going to differentiate you. The CRM is not going to help you to grow your practice faster. Um, any Almost any piece of good software would, would be able to satisfy those needs. If I'm an advisor and I hear build versus buy, the build word would scare the heck out of me. It, it really, in, in some cases, it probably should. Um, it's not their core competency in many cases. So there are advisor teams that decide to build a piece of software. And it's not just the cost of the developer, as an example, to build it, right? You need to understand the underlying database. You need to host it someplace. So you need to have someone who understands cloud hosting. Um, once you've built that software, the security requirements of that software are now on you. It's your software. So you need someone who understands the security issues that can be that are around that. You've got to be able to protect that data because an examiner will turn to you and say, what software are you using? And if you have a custom piece of software, they're going to ask you, have you done, for example, penetration testing? Has that, how is that software securing the personally identifiable information? 
the PII of your clients. So you hear people often saying, I need to be protected against, or I need cybersecurity. And that's just a blanket term, but there's a lot that goes around that blanket term. What are some of those things that people should be thinking about? They should definitely... So what we're seeing with FINRA at this point is the FINRA examiners are spending more time taking a look at the cybersecurity posture of RAs in particular. So I'll give you a really concrete example. We worked with a client who just went through a, a FINRA audit, and the examiner did note that they did not have, for example, multi-factor authentication set up, which is where if you log in with your user ID and password, it sends a code to you, maybe to your cell phone you know, or your email, and you use that code, that's the second factor that uh, to authenticate your user. So, you know, if, if we're seeing areas now where FINRA is bringing these types of, of issues up in their examinations, those are the concerns that really an RA should have, is how well am I protecting my client's information? Am I taking, you know, am I taking a proactive stance in really understanding what my sovereign posture looks like. And then the other thing that I think a, a really good RA could do is go take a look at the uh, security uh, reports, if you will, um, that many of your vendors have, right? Say, have you done penetration testing? Do you have a security audit? Um, what is your cybersecurity posture? Even if you're using a so you know an off-the-shelf piece of software, let's say like a, you know, a juncture, you know, an advisor engine, that's an area where you can have a conversation with them and say, what's your security posture look like? Mm -hmm. How, have we heard of any breaches by advisor, through advisors or by through advisors' firms, um, like we hear with hospitals and counties and those kind of things? Have those been happening? They have happened. And the SEC actually just fined three firms uh, recently because they not only did they suffer a breach, but then they didn't disclose that breach fast enough to their client base. Most of the time when you're suffering a breach, it's not going to be, as an example, it's not going to be your cloud hosting provider that gets breached in almost all cases. And the reason is that your cloud hosting provider, you've outsourced that capability to them. They've taken on the responsibility of having a really good cyber posture. So if you're using like an Amazon as a great example, or like, um, you know, Microsoft uh, OneDrive capability, Microsoft Azure, which is where OneDrive gets hosted, they, they're doing the cyber checking around that. In many cases, the breach happens with your employees. They may get a dodgy email, right, a phishing email. They click on a link, they put in some information, and now a bad actor has access to your network. They're not going to attack you right away. They're going to look at your network. They're going to try to understand your network. They're going to try to find the most sensitive data in your company. Then they're going to attack you. So in many cases, when they, if you, if you are attacked, the bad actors usually been in your system for months before you figure it out. Watching everything that you're doing. Watching everything you're doing. Exactly. They're going to try to figure out what's your client system, what's your financial system, how can I get sensitive data out of that. They'll go after your HR system. You know, how embarrassing it would be for a firm if the, if the salaries of all of their top people were published in the RA space. Exactly. So the Oasis Group works with advisors and other companies to do an audit, look into your system. Can you find out if there's any bad actors sitting there looking at people? Are they hard to find? You actually can find them. So most times when you have a bad actor that's in your system, they're going to be starting to transmit data out of your facility to them. So when, you, when we do take a look at it, uh, at systems, 
you will be able to take a look at the network traffic that's coming out of your building. So if you've got network traffic, large amounts of network traffic coming out of weird hours, like after hour work, that type of thing, that's usually, they want the bandwidth, so they're going to try to send data late at night. And if you don't have people in the office late at night, you should probably get that check and figure out what it is. And they're probably not looking for the smaller advisors. They're looking for the larger ones with all kinds of data. The, the, I think the issue that we have with our space is in many cases we measure firms and we publish numbers around firms around what their AUM is, right? Mm -hmm. So a, many, a bad actor is not in our space. They don't understand the economics of our space. So if they hear it's a $3 billion AUM firm, they feel that that firm is large enough to, to go in and, and steal the data. Right. And in some cases, you may get a ransomware attack, which is not only do they steal the data, but then they lock up your system and hold it for ransom until you pay them to unlock the system. So I, I don't think it's limited to small to larger uh, RA firms at this point, simply because of the way we discuss our our you know the industry. It sounds juicy. It sounds like something a bad actor would be like. They've got lots of money. Let's go get them. <laughs> a three billion dollar advisor doesn't have three billion dollars of money. They have client assets. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. So let's talk about what are people building right now in terms of software when they do build. In a lot of cases, I'll come back to where we started our conversation, where you're, if you're going to build software, the decision point needs to be it needs to be a differentiator for your firm. If it's a key differentiator, that you can consider building software. I'll give you a very concrete example. We're working with a, a, an advisory firm right now that uh, they are a, an SMA shop. Um, they do a lot of analysis of data to be able to, out of, out of a universe of securities, they analyze many, many of those securities, and then they select the securities that they want to use in the portfolios for their individual clients. That analysis, in many cases, they were doing that using spreadsheets in the past. Um, the firm's grown really, really well, and they needed a, a way to be able to analyze more securities faster without using spreadsheets. So they wanted to go from roughly 1,000 securities to roughly 5,000 securities. Um, that's a great example of that's a differentiator to your firm. It drives your revenue because selecting the right investments for your clients is really important. And they select, in many cases, these individual securities. So building a data warehouse, we've helped them to design and build the data warehouse. We help negotiate the contracts for hosting that data warehouse. We helped negotiate the data feeds for the market data that was coming in to, to feed the data warehouse. And we also are right now where the next phase of that is to help that particular advising, advisory firm to join that data with portfolio data that they've got. So now I can answer really interesting questions like what's the concentration that I currently have across all of my accounts, across all of my advisors? Do I have a concentration risk as an example? Do I have too high of a concentration in a specific set of securities? So last year was challenging for a lot of reasons for a lot of people. So how did it affect you? Because I think that people now working at home rather than a secure office and you got all this more of this communication going on and people just looking at it. Um, talk about that. So... For the, for the Oasis group, we were very lucky, right, because we are, we are technology consultants and we offer technology and sales consultant services. So for us to flip over to be completely virtual was very easy. However, when for our clients, it's been very, very difficult. Yeah. In many cases, we have a client that we're working with right now that they had thin clients on their desk, which are small Dell types of computers 
that sit on everyone's desk. Well, 150 people went home in March of 2020 and haven't been back to the office yet. So they're using personal devices at home to conduct company business. That's really a big risk because you don't know who's using that computer after the workday's done. They may be using that computer for gaming. They may be using that computer for anything else. They may not have that computer in a secure location all the time. It may be in their car. You know, that's where... Schoolwork. Schoolwork. So that's where that, you know, for some of, for many of our clients, a lot of the work we've seen, a big uptick has been, how do we prepare John for this? This is, this is now going to become an extended thing. Many of our clients are asking, how do I just go to a hybrid model, hybrid office model moving forward? So in that example that I told you with the client that had thin clients, we helped them pretty much soup to nuts. We negotiated agreements with Microsoft. We were able to procure Surface Pro computers for them, for everyone. We had a firm come in and uh, go through their Active Directory so we could remotely deploy software to everyone in the entire company. They didn't have to come to the office anymore to get a deployment of software. It just happens when they connect to the internet the next time. Um, so those are the types of things where you know, you've got to be able to, to pivot really, really quickly. And in many cases, that's not the advisor's core skill set. So having a consulting firm like ours coming in is really advantageous for them. Many times it's not their skill set. Most times it's not their skill set. They are very, very good at marketing. They're very, very good at managing money. They are a trusted advisor to their clients. Right. They're not a technology firm. Exactly. Exactly. So what are you excited about for next year? What's, what's, what are you guys doing? We're doing phenomenal. I mean, we've had a really good year. We're, I'm really poising the firm for the next phase of growth at this point for next year. We're seeing, like I said, a, a big uptick in the cyber work that we're doing. We're seeing a big uptick in, uh, in helping firms to adopt a hybrid model. So that, I think, is really, really exciting. Those models have existed outside of our wealth management space for years, mm -hmm. right? Um, I spent eight and a half years at Oracle. And I, you, you didn't go to the office when you were at Oracle. We had a hoteling environment. You had to register for an office, you know, days in advance. And then you would go to the office and go to that office number. That was your office for that day. Very few people had dedicated offices at Oracle. And I left Oracle in 2016. And, you know, that was, we had been doing that for years by the time I left. So that's not new to other industries. And I think with the wealth management space, being able to adopt technologies that enable, for example, an advisor to have a conversation with a client on their cell phone and not be their cell phone number, be, you know, uh, be the office number that they're calling from. They just happen to be calling on their cell phone and it pops up as the office phone number. Those are the types of, of things that really excite me because I think that we're going to see a hybrid model emerging in the wealth management space, and it's really exciting that we'll be able to leverage other technologies that are very proven outside of wealth management in the wealth management space. So you think the wealth management space is going to be much more open to technology that they haven't been before because it's always been behind the rest of the everything else. It does. It does fall by, it falls by the wayside in many cases. Um, we a lot of the clients we deal with when we when we do come in and help them and we evaluate their infrastructure. In many cases, their infrastructure is what those, what's called end of life, which means it's not getting any software updates. It's not getting patched. It's not getting security patches. You know. So when you, I think, for a lot of firms, that 
upgrading that technology stack, being on top of that technology stack, in some cases is an afterthought to the other growth areas of the firm. But it does turn out to be a pretty good operational risk. If it goes wrong, it's going to go wrong in a big way. So it would be in their best interest to evaluate those things on a periodic basis and make sure they're up to date. I'm not a technology person as either, but I'm becoming more and more familiar with it. So when you're talking about things, I'm understanding what you're talking about. And I think the rest of the industry is, is as well. So that's a great thing. Excellent. Thank you. John, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Doug. I really appreciate you having me. If people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Oh, they can reach us on the Oasis Group website. So that's www.theoasisgrp.com. And from there, you can link to our LinkedIn account. We are, we are on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and also on the website. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.